This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Ann Nicholson-Weber, and my guests are Greg Kolek and Matt Babs. Um, Greg has directed and Matt is one of the ensemble members in the production of The Laramie Project 10 years later, which is currently playing at Red Twist. Um, so Greg, uh, not not everybody in the world knows what Laramie Project is and therefore what Laramie Project 10 years later might be. Could you just very briefly describe um, the project? Sure. Well, uh, the Tectonic Theater Company and its artistic director, Moises Kaufman, in 1998, as the events in Laramie, Wyoming, were unfolding with the Matthew Shepard um, tragedy, Moises got the idea to go out there, literally while they were still unfolding. It had only been a couple weeks, I believe, uh, after everything started happening, and to go out there and, and, and research it and find out if there was a play in there. And they really didn't know what they were gonna, what the play was going to be about. And it ended up being more about the people of Laramie and how this event affected them. And the interesting thing about the show is that it's it's all in the residents' own words. They interviewed mm-hmm. everybody, and they used their own words. There was no dramatization, um, no compressing of characters. It was literally in their own words. And it became um, quite an incredible hit uh, because of you know the subject matter, and it was... You know, it was groundbreaking as far as theater goes in, in the style it presented itself in. So that's been around since 2000. And then as the 10-year anniversary of the murder was creeping up, they got the idea to go back out there again and pretty much go through the same process just to see how the town had changed, how it hadn't changed, what good had happened, what good had not happened. And in some ways, they were very surprised about what they discovered. Mm-hmm. Right. So so kind of the the most salient characters characteristics of this theater to me, or this this play to me, are first of all, that it is docudrama, that mm-hmm. it's um, not written, it's only kind of compiled, let's say, from, mm-hmm. from interviews. Exactly. Um, and then there was, as, as I uh, recall, there was kind of a, a an event created around this play, that the sequel, when it, um, didn't they do something where like across the country they were doing simultaneous productions or something like that? Yeah, and the 11th anniversary of Matthew's death, which was October 12th, um, 2000 and 2009, um, they premiered a reading of it. It wasn't a full production. It was a mm-hmm. reading of it. But they simultaneously performed the reading at 150 theaters, not only around the country, but around the world. Wow. Um, the, the big one, of course, was in New York. I believe it was at Lincoln Center. So it was a pretty big event. And uh, they did it here at the Goodman Theater. Uh, About Face Theater actually did the reading at the Goodman Theater, mm-hmm. which I saw. And that was the first time I discovered 10 years later. But it was also done at... Little theaters all over the country, colleges. It was done in Laramie that mm-hmm. night. It was done in different parts of the world, and then it all happened. It all happened at the exact same time, and then afterwards there was a live video feed from New York um, with a discussion of the play, of which Judy Shepard was part of that discussion as it's well as Matthew's the cast mother. members. Mm-hmm. And with the marvels of technology these days, people could actually email in or or tweet in questions, and you could be in, you know. Juneau, Alaska, and asked Moises Kaufman or Judy Shepard a question in New York. Right. So it was, it was quite an event. Right. So um, so you saw that reading. Has mm-hmm. it been produced in Chicago um, since then? No, that's the only time we're, we're the Chicago premiere of it. That's great. Other than that reading, that one-time reading. Yeah. Well, the thing I think I'm most interested in about both these plays, both Laramie Project and the 10 Years Later play, is how is let's call it docudrama, um, 
theater that is um, about real people saying the words as they were spoken by real people. How is it different from other kinds of theater? And and Matt uh, reminded me that, or pointed out to me before the interview, that you've actually kind of made it a little bit of a specialty of this kind of, of play, right? Mm-hmm. You've done, besides these two, you did Laramie, the original Laramie Project as well, right? Well, I've never done it before. We're doing it right now. We're 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 doing a reading. We're doing a reading. Mm-hmm. But I, I hesitate to use the word reading because it's the only thing I want to say is it's a fully produced play with the actors on script. They're not right. off book. But mm-hmm. there's 85 like cues, which right. is an enormous amount of like cues for a reading. Right. There's costume elements. There's some staging. Some sections are actually off book. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very well produced. Um, you know, quote reading, and again, I hate to use that word, but mm-hmm. I felt like when 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 I saw the reading of ten years later, two and a half years ago, I immediately said, uh, "Laramie, the original Larry Pro- Laramie project had been on my plate for ten years. I've been trying to get somebody in Chicago to produce it mm-hmm. with me directing it for ten years, mm-hmm. and I haven't had any luck. And as soon as I saw." The reading, I said, well, it's a no-brainer. These two have to be done together. Mm -hmm. And completely by coincidence, Greg Reiner, who is now the executive director of Tectonic Theater, I had also, I had worked with um, a few years ago. He used to be the managing director of the Actors Gang, which is Tim Robbins Theater in in L.A. And uh, I had uh, wanted to produce Tim's play, Embedded, which I ended up getting it produced and, and, and directing that. And that was about five or six years ago. But I had worked with... Greg and securing the rights to that. So when I found out, you know, he was now the the executive director, I, it was the next day or two days later, I just called him and and I said, Greg, I want to do both these plays. And he said, of, of course you do. <laughs> and and I said, well, you know, what's going on? And we, we discussed how the rights and when the rights would become available and things uh-huh. like that. So, um, so yeah, I did, we did do, we, we rehearsed both these at the same time. It was a long mm-hmm. process for, for the actors, which I'm sure Matt will be thrilled to talk about. <laughs> well, um, so wait, is it the same, is it the same company? It's the same cast. The, uh, yeah. And, and many, many of the same characters appear in both shows. Right. And right. if an actor plays an actor in Laramie, he plays it in, in 10 years later. Right. You know, and that's part of the, that's why, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, I've seen Laramie Project. I'll just come see 10 years later. But what I'm stressing is that we are treating this as a two-parter. Uh-huh. You know, we're not looking at this as two completely separate plays. They're, they're, the design elements connect them. The ac- the staging connects them. The actors connect them. It's right. a very – I look it's at it as our – part two of one play. <laughs> I, I look at it as our Angels in America right. or as our right. Kentucky cycle, you okay. know, with the two We've parts. had a couple people recently come see uh, both the plays in the same weekend. We had uh, a pair of people last weekend and a pair of people this weekend uh, – one of which came uh, to the matinee on on Saturday to the reading and then to the evening performance of Laramie 10, mm-hmm. uh, 10 years later. And um, all the people that have done that have clearly been extremely moved mm-hmm. by by what they've seen and by this sort of larger scale theatrical experience. Uh, that it just informs you more about what you're seeing. Right, so. right. I think each, each play stands on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, but... It's a more complete experience to see them both like that. Yeah. Well, so let's talk about, um, and, and maybe go to you, Matt, about how does it change the way you approach a script when you know that these are real people who are still walking around? I think there are a lot of different ways to come at that sort of thing. Um, and my personal feeling was that I didn't want to get too bogged down in researching. Uh, you know, I, I play Russell Henderson and I, I 
I couldn't who is who is one of Matt's killers or um, mm-hmm. certainly an accomplice to one of Matt's killer Matt's killer uh, Aaron McKinney and not only could I f- not find very much video footage of him you know speaking of aside from mm-hmm. in a courtroom um but I I also didn't want to sort of base my performance on you know what are his mannerisms what mm-hmm. is this that and the other because then I'm sort of focusing on um on imitating as opposed to creating a character. Um, but we also have, uh, have Gene, uh, in our cast and Gene works from a very different sort of standpoint, uh, where he spoke to, you know, probably seven of the characters that he portrays in mm-hmm. the, in the piece. Like, um, four maybe, but still. Oh, uh, well, it, it felt like a lot, a lot when yeah. he would come in right. every, every rehearsal and say, well, I, I spoke to Father Roger today <laughs> and he said that he wanted to tell you that you guys are great. And, <laughs> um, it's, that's actually amazing to me that these people who have become so famous by being portrayed in this play would be willing still <laughs> to be approached we, and be drawn into yet another production. We got really lucky in uh, well, I think it's not so much luck. It's sort of the that the people that they interviewed are are really wonderful people. That they they are willing, completely willing to speak to us. So many of them. Um, mm-hmm. We were lucky to have Judy come and uh, do an event with us. We had Ruland Stacy, who uh, is was the administrator at the hospital Matt was treated at, come and uh, speak with us after our performance on Saturday. Uh, him and his wife came on St. Patrick's Day, dressed up in a, you know, full tux and gown, and <laughs> <laughs> and chatted with us and stood out on the streets of Chicago. Uh, but also, Greg. Um, sort of having the commitment that he has to these docudramas went back to Laramie uh, before we started rehearsals and got in touch with several of the people, several of the characters in the play. Hmm. There's a lot of them that won't talk, mm-hmm. and you just respect that. Um, Aaron Kreifels, who was the boy who, the young boy, I don't want to say boy, but almost a boy, who mm-hmm. discovered Matthew tied to the fence. He was a college student that I um, I have the luck of portraying and uh mm-hmm. he really went through a really rough experience of, of finding this kid and and when we talked to uh some people from the matthew shepherd foundation mm-hmm. they said that not only does he not want to talk about this he borderline has post-traumatic stress mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. from remembering this event which i can understand well yeah. that's that's one of the that brings up one of the main themes of the, of the sequel of the 10 years later which is how people do and do not want to keep thinking about this and also how they tell the story. There's a, um, uh, I think one of the most interesting moments in the 10 years later is an interview with a folklorist at uh, the university there in, in Laramie. And he talks about um, how a community, this is how I, this is what I remember. You can tell me how, how well <laughs> I got it. calls it the convention of rumor. Is what he calls but the it. part that fascinated me was when he talks about how if, if a community's stories are hijacked by, from outside, which is what happened to Laramie, you know, for them, it was something that happened in their community and then became this national symbol of hate crime and gay issues. And, um, so, so in a way they lost control of this, story that was their story and his and his point his thesis this folklorist was that when that happens then in order to kind of reclaim the story it needs almost to be reinvented if you can't tell the same story because then it's not yours 
someone else, that's someone else's version of the story, um, which I thought was a fascinating way to understand one of the things that comes out in, in this, in the sequel, which is that, um, there's a lot of revisionist history going on. Um, so anyway, that, that's just a, a point that I thought was mm. really interesting, but the, the whole theme of memory and storytelling, um, and people's desire to get past it and stop being the place where Matthew Shepard was murdered. One of the big sort of, uh, pieces of, of Laramie 10 is, is how people sort of misremember and, and alter the details that, mm-hmm. that has been portrayed and, uh, issues such as, uh, 2020 coming out and doing this, this story and, and just, changing uh the belief of of why matt was murdered that it was a homophobic hate crime and they came out and they said that uh it was drugs and that they put together this piece with uh aaron mckinney and russell henderson uh, with interviews with them for the first time and and really just portrayed it in a different light and um it was just not true unfortunately it sounds like it's pretty irresponsible so right. many people in Laramie. Right. There were infuriated people. Lots of people of Laramie that got very angry about it, but there were also people that just wanted to buy into it as right. soon as possible. It was a more comfortable. It, yeah, more they, comfortable they were history. no longer culpable. Right, so. right. Well, so Greg, when you went to Laramie, how, how do you go about, you just say, hi, I'm this guy from Chicago. We're doing the play. We want to talk to you. I mean, <laughs> well, like Matt said, I've been doing this a long time. I've been doing shows like this for almost 20 years now. Mm-hmm. And, and, You'd be surprised how easy it is. You know, a lot of people just say to me, how'd you get him to talk to you? And I always say, I asked. Mm-hmm. I did, um, this is, you know, one of my favorite stories is uh, about five years ago, I directed The Exonerated at Raven Theater, which is about real-life people who were wrongly put on death row and were later exonerated. And of those six people in the play, two of them are from Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I got in touch with both of them, got them to come talk to the cast. They came to opening night. But after he was convicted, but before he went to jail, I got George Ryan to come in and talk to us about Mm -hmm. his moratorium. And I started, like, for instance, I started with him with the Center on Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern, and they contacted him and called me back and said, here's his number. He's waiting for you to call. You know, so people say, how'd you get George Ryan to come a month before he went to jail? I said, I asked. You know, that's the same thing that happened with this. Some of these people I was able to track down myself. One of the first contacts I made was with the Matthew Shepard Foundation, not really knowing, you know, how they were going to be able to help, but it just seemed the logical first step. And they've had so many requests over the years for help with various productions of Laramie Project that last summer they created a position of a Laramie specialist, someone who Mm -hmm. does nothing but deal with questions regarding the Larry project and that's susan burke who was actually in a couple weeks ago with with the um and did a talk back with us um when judy was here when judy was here it was a benefit for the matthew shepherd foundation so i started with her and she was able to give me some names some i just found myself and i think almost everybody i contacted said sure one was like i don't know if i'll have time but call me when you get into town and i wasn't able to we weren't able to meet up, but everyone else, you know, either through my, and some were when I was there, a couple were Jonas Sloniker, who was someone Matt plays. That was after the fact. That's after I came back, I ended up talking to him over the phone and Reggie Flutie, who was the officer who found, who was the first officer at the fence. I've talked to her and Ellie, who plays her, have, have talked to her. So I, I think I find with these things over the years of doing this, that once people realize you're, you're, you're not doing it for some sensationalistic value. You're really doing it to tell the story right. They're very, very willing to talk to you. And Rulin Stacy, who, as Matt said, was just in town last week and 
requested. We didn't even chase him down. He said, I'm going to be in town. I really want to come and meet you guys. I can't see the show, but I want to come by. And he told me, he said, he will talk to anybody who's playing him that wants to talk to him because mm-hmm. he just figures if you're going that extra step to get it right, I'm going to give you my time. Well, so let's, so what does change when, I mean, the script is the script, you know, you as an actor, Matt, you usually just have the script. You don't have, you can't call the character and say, so tell me more. Call playwright maybe. (laughs) Right. So, so why is it useful to, I mean, you didn't actually do this, Matt, so maybe I'm asking the wrong person. Greg, why is it useful to, to reach out to these real people? What changed about the way you approached the, the script? I honestly, I don't think it changes any grand thing that the audience would notice. Mm-hmm. I think what it did do is inform us. I think, you know, Greg gathered all right. this wonderful information, but then from talking to these characters, from talking to the actual people, um, we got information that it was not included in, in either of the scripts and mm-hmm. sort of filled out these details. Uh, so, uh, Reggie, uh, for example, the, the, police officer who uh, was the first on the scene to treat Matthew shared that she had, um, when she found him, there was a, a doe nearby in the bushes and that she felt that this, that that meant that Matt was not alone, that mm-hmm. somehow I, I believe she said that God right. was with him. Something um, like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It gives, it gives the actors a more complete understanding of what they're doing and mm-hmm. it just makes it a fuller characterization. And you, I don't think you can, you know, Maybe you disagree, but I I don't think you can point to something and say, this moment is so much better because I talked to so-and-so. It mm-hmm. just gives a more complete overall feeling of an understanding of the people, an understanding of the event especially. So you, you could almost say it's part of just of your process as the director of encountering this the script mm-hmm. in this other way, just as if you went off to read books or whatever, right. you know, about as a right. dramaturg would do. Um, well, uh so, Matt, you were talking about not wanting to do an impersonation, essentially. That's yeah. what I took you to be saying. Yeah. Um, and why not? I think, I guess what I heard you say was because it means you spend too much effort on the impersonation and not enough on... Uh, for right? me, um, if I'm working on thinking about how this character, how this person moves, how they're they're speaking, then it becomes something that's sort of flattened and, and that I'm folk, I'm so in my head about, you know, oh, well, he wouldn't have moved his hand that way. He would mm-hmm. have done this instead that I'm more distracted by that than by, you know, trying to, um, exist with their thoughts and their motivations mm-hmm. in, inside mm-hmm. of the scenes. So mm-hmm. I was very adamant with the cast. I said, do all the research you want. Here's the phone numbers. Call them if you want. But don't try to become them. Right. You I, know, think- I, I said that from the very beginning. I said, don't worry about their inflections. Reggie is, she's from, living in Montana all her life, and she sounds like she's from Canada, you know? I mean, uh-huh. like that. I even said to her, I said, where are you from? And she uh-huh. said, people ask me that all the time. Uh-huh. I'm from here. And, uh, but I said, I was very adamant. I said, you know, don't, you know, the, the character of Jim Osborne, who was a close friend of Matthew Shepard's, is someone I, I met. He's about six foot four. He's about 350 pounds. Mm. And he is just flamboyant. And, you know, he does drag queen bingo that's in the show. And he does, he leads karaoke at night. And, um, Kurt Brocker, who's playing him, is about, what, five, six, about 140 pounds and Mm -hmm. couldn't be more macho. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I said, you know, there's no way. Don't try to become this big flamboyant. Right. You, You know, um, Jim Osborne, just 
you know, it's got to be you, your interpretation of this character, and not the actual person. Plus, they're all playing well, that's what I was gonna numerous say. roles, right. and you can't possibly cast. I mean, there were some people <laughs> I cast originally. It's like, all right, I really want this person to play this role. Uh-huh. Now, how can everything else fit in? What other roles can they do? So it's not that was the question I had. It's not specified in either uh, script how you no. double. You just. Have however no, many actors you do, and I mean, they... you could have uh, as many actors if, as you want. You mm-hmm. know, in the original Laramie project, you could have what thirty something actors, and Everybody each give them the character, own. or mm-hmm. you can split it up with eight, as we're doing now. Um, right. Uh, going back to the the previous subject, I think um, the only person who felt a need to sort of really research their character and make sure that they had some piece of of that person inside of them was uh, Jan Allen Graves, who. Uh, who portrays Judy in uh, Laramie 10, who, of course, And that's Matt's mother. I'm not sure we've ever specifically said that. Yeah. yeah. Um, And, of course, we had, as we've mentioned, we had Judy come and uh, introduce the play. And Mm -hmm. so I think Jan had this tremendous fear leading up to that event that none of you are playing characters that the audience has met, but I am. Right, (laughs) right. But you also talked about Gene and said that he also felt a much more of a drive to impersonate to a degree. I think that, that right? just made, uh, made I think him... it was impersonation. It was just filling it in. Yeah. And I think that makes him feel more comfortable as an actor and, uh, and makes him feel more informed. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's just coming at it from a different direction. Uh, right. I very much don't think that my way is better than his or anything. Right. I mean, is it simplistic to say that if you're a, an inside out actor, that's going to, which I'm kind of surmising you might be, sure. that's going to be a harder way to go. And if you're an outside in actor, that would be a more comfortable approach. I don't know. If, uh, being an inside out actor, you wouldn't I, know. I, 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 <laughs> how does I don't the other know how the live? other one works right. as well. <laughs> right. Uh, right. Yeah. Well, um, one of the things that, that, um, I, I mean, I understand very much why you wanted, why you felt the need to do the reading of Laramie One, let's call it, um, because there, because it certainly is a very different experience, I think, seeing 10 years later, if you've never seen or, or read Laramie Project. Does, um, I had the impression that so, a little bit of the text in Laramie 10 is also, is, is taken from the earlier interviews to kind of, Act as as uh, exposition. Is that wrong? No, I don't think so. I think all they it's just Romaine at the very beginning says pretty much the same introduction as she gives mm-hmm. to Laramie Project. Um, but that's about it. So, yeah. And do the characters kind of repeat themselves at all? Are there they don't of- really repeat themselves? There might be a couple of sort of like manner mannerisms that get repeated mm-hmm. inside mm-hmm. of it, but um, I think they they just sort of happened to sum up the events inside of their interviews and uh, that Tectonic was smart enough to sort of manage to splice these things together mm-hmm. in a way that gives you, um, you know, even if you haven't seen the Laramie Project or aren't uh, terribly familiar with the events surrounding Matthew Shepard's death, um, that you'll be given enough information to to go along for the ride. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, the, the, the sum of it is that you... As you've said before, Matt, you know, there's, there's less change than you might expect, maybe. Um, but then again, you know, there's a couple of really wonderful and very, uh, uplifting scenes. Most notably to me, um, a scene in the legislature, the, the Wyoming legislature where, uh, a, um, what do they call that? A defensive marriage type bill mm, is, yeah. uh, in front of legislature and this, 
the scenes sort of presented by this uh, openly gay um, member of the Wyoming. Right. Who's another person I met. So she got to tell me that story firsthand, which was pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. And she's sort of giving us the events and leading us through uh, what happened. And I didn't really put it together until recently, but that all of the characters that speak inside of that scene are all Republicans of varying Mm -hmm. viewpoints on the subject matter. Who end up defeating the bill. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's, it's quite an extra, particularly, um, the, the testimony or uh, speech by, by an, um, older guy, clearly, you know, steadfast Republican whose daughter is a lesbian. And Mm -hmm. he starts to talk very personally about that. And to me, that was probably the most moving thing in the show. But I think, I think we have a tendency sometimes to prefer to say, oh, nothing's changing, nothing's changing. And yet, really, so much. I mean, I went to to the show at Steppenwolf, uh, Hit the Wall, which is a recounting yeah, of the, uh, the Stonewall um, riots. And you have to acknowledge that things have changed amazingly. And interestingly, that in this play, you get the feeling that a little bit the Laramie Project and the notoriety that the play brought to the events have nudged history just a tiny bit. Well, it's an interesting show because some characters in the show, like J- Jonas – keep saying nothing has changed, not the change. And then you've got Jim Osborne saying, but little things have changed and that's good. And as long as little things keep changing, we're moving. So it's, right. it's about their point of view. Right. But we've certainly had, you know, it's just a very interesting doing the show at the time, you know, when certain people are trying to get the Republican nomination for president and their entire platform is, right. is morals. And not fixing the economy or not this, but it's all about morals. And, you know, we're still. Can we put quotes around that? (laughs) And and we're still in 2012 talking about, you know, you know, two men marrying is, is not right. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And this Uh and that. It's just, it's, it's been, it's fed into a lot of our conversation. The the timing of doing the shows has been, Uh has been very interesting for us. I think it's created a lot of passion inside of the cast and, uh, Mm -hmm. certainly for myself. And I know Matt Klingler, another young member of the cast, um, has talked about this, that we've felt like doing the show has made us more political and sort Mm -hmm. of, it's not that, um, it's changed our views because I think our views coming into the Laramie project, um, you know, we knew what the subject matter was. It's not like right. we would come in sort of being staunchly against these things. Um, but I think it's sort of affirmed those ideas inside of our head. Uh, one of the things that I do think, um, the, the play touches on that has changed, uh, but changed after the play was, uh, written and the interviews were done were things like, uh, don't ask, don't tell being repealed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Act, uh, hate crime legislation mm-hmm. being passed. So there have been, um, incremental sort of political steps forward. Right. So right. Well, and it gives us some hope. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, um, I think, a uh, uh, very moving, for me, afternoon uh, in the theater, evening in the theater. Um, and if uh, I, I think if, for anyone who hasn't seen Laramie Project to do the reading and then uh, see the Saturday night performance or the Sunday performance would be a great experience. Yeah, but um, don't be afraid to just come see Laramie 10. Right. You'll still right, right. you'll still understand everything that's going on and hopefully it's still just as moving of an experience. You know, we had an interesting we, – we had uh, Kelly Simpkins who is one of the originators of Laramie Project. She lives in mm-hmm. Chicago now oh. and she's an actress in Chicago. So You mean um, she was part of the tectonic company that went and yeah, did the Yeah, she wasn't there from the very, very beginning mm-hmm. but she was there pretty early on. 
So I got in touch with her and she came in and she was wonderful. And she told us, you know, you could just name a character and she'd tell you a story about them. But she said something very interesting. She said that Laramie Project and 10 years later, each show has a different feel. Mm-hmm. She characterized the differences? Well, we talked about it a little bit and, and, um, there's longer scenes in 10, in 10 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, the second act is essentially four long scenes, whereas, um, and by long, I don't mean, you know, a half hour, mm-hmm. you know, by long, I'm saying seven or eight minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, uh, Laramie Project is much more very short moments, very quick Choppy. moments, mm-hmm. you know, even script wise, they're a half page long. Mm-hmm. And Laramie Project has a lot of very, very, and I, I, I hate to use this word, but to use it because I can't think of anything else, I'll put it in quotes, gotcha moments, mm-hmm. where there are many, many moments in Laramie Project where you're just stuck. They're either just unbelievably moving, unbelievably harrowing, or sometimes incredibly funny. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of moments like that. There's a good, you know, seven, eight moments in, in Laramie Project that people cry. Right. Whereas 10 years later, it doesn't have as many of those moments, but it's a show that afterwards you start thinking about mm-hmm. and you really start going, wow, that was, you know, amazing. You know, I think the, the interview with Aaron McKinney is terrifying. I mean, it's just his, his nonchalance and careless attitude about how he, you know, basically beat Matthew to a pulp is, mm-hmm. is absolutely terrifying. But there's a lot of other moments in the show that don't hit you till after the show, whereas mm-hmm. Larry Project, they hit you as you're watching them. So I think 10 years later is a show that really affects you as you get to talk about it. In some ways, it's the, the themes of it are more subtle. I mean, you know, Laramie Project, it's, it's hard to have a lot of different, uh, points of view about what it's about. Um, whereas I think 10 years later becomes a little more, uh, meta <laughs> you know it's it's not about the events which neither is laramie project but this is even less about the events mm-hmm. and even more about human psychology and responding right. to it and over time and so forth. well thank you both very much for coming to talk to me about it i really appreciate it thank That's you it. sure mm-hmm.